Well, today I want to stay with the generational thinking, and I want to bring a message to you <clears throat> that's titled, Reaching Forward. Reaching forward to the next generation. It's our role, it's vital, and it's one of the most important things around, is for us to reach the next generation. Presently, the next generation is being pulled away. We, we should have had over a thousand kids in that, that youth camp. But too many are getting pulled away. Too many are being allowed to get pulled away. And the generation today is under attack like never before because the enemy wants to stop what God is doing in the next generation before it gets into the next generation because he's tired of dealing with God's force, his kingdom. And so he's going after the next generation. And we have an obligation as a church, we have an obligation as parents to push back against the darkness, to, to grab a hold of and take responsibility for the next generation. The next generation is ours. It's ours. It's not anybody else's. It's our generation. We are responsible. The government's not responsible. Education's not responsible. Nobody else is responsible like parents in the church. It's vital. My, my Christian life has been involved in youth ministry and kids ministry. I, was, I volunteered as a youth pastor in the Baptist church I grew up in. And, I, and we discipled a bunch of kids. And I mean, those are some impactful years. And we moved to Jennings and became a part of OSC. And I complained about the children's pastor one time to Pastor Bubba. And a month later, I was the children's pastor. Be careful what you complain about. <laughs> you might get yourself a job. But I took it wholeheartedly and I said, you know what, God, you trust me with these children. I'm going to do the best I can with them. I'm not going to babysit them because Jesus didn't die for me to be a babysitter. Jesus died for me to be an impactor into the next generation. And so I went at it wholeheartedly. Interesting statistic is when I was a children's pastor, we were 98% boys. 98% boys. Nobody could believe it. They were like, like, you don't have, I got, I got two girls. You want to hear another statistic? Today, this church is 98% boys. This church is almost 50% men. That's not normal. Women go to church. Men don't go to church today. God is doing something in our church. We've got 16 youth boys, five youth girls. Somewhere's in there. What is God doing? He's doing something in the next generation of men. Because it's going to take a man to do what God wants him to do. So today I want to talk to you about reaching forward. I want to show you something from Psalms 145 that I believe is very important. And I'm going to take a little bit of time to teach you this and then I'm going to give you a couple of convictions that, convictions that I have about reaching forward. Psalms 145, verse 4, watch what it says. It says, one generation shall praise your works to another. So there's, you see the responsibility there. One generation praises your works to another generation and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation praises your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Two words I want to emphasize in this verse real quick. The first word is praise. He says, one generation shall praise. Praise your works to another. Notice he didn't say tell. Notice he didn't say say. Notice he didn't say mention. We don't mention Jesus. We preach Jesus. Y'all going to make me work like the first service. That's all right. I'm ready. I done changed my shirt. One generation will praise your works to another. That word praise means to, to use a loud tone. Yeah. 
<laughs> that word praise means to commend, to give glory to, to triumph in. The LSU E. Bengals won a World Series last night. Hard fought World Series. I don't think they were golf clapping afterwards. What were they doing? They were praising, celebrating, triumphing, commending in a loud tone. So, so the psalmist says that we shall praise your works to another. And one generation should praise it to another. It's one thing to tell them about God. It's another thing how you tell them about God. It's missing. It's missing. Christianity's become boring. It's become boring. I'll go to church. Yeah, I check my box. It's boring. I love God, but it's boring. The second word I want to emphasize to you is declare. He says, and shall declare your mighty acts. That word declare means to announce. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, I got something to say. Announce. It means to expose, to predict, to explain, to profess, to speak with confidence. Now watch this, watch this. It did not say anything about the Bible, did it? So some of you are taking this and going, well, I don't know the Bible well enough to tell people about the Bible. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, tell them about my good works. Tell them about Evan falling on the floor in tears and snot and sweat because he experienced the love of God. Tell them about my mighty works. Okay, you can't quote scripture. That's fine. You can work on that, though. But at the meantime, you can tell him about his good deeds and his mighty works. A Christian should always have a story in their pocket and ready to pull it out on anybody. What's God doing in your life? What you mean you don't know? Last time I checked, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still moving in his church. He's still moving on the earth. We all have a story to tell. So the psalmist is saying, to announce with confidence and loud tone the mighty works of God. And this generation is responsible for how we tell the next generation. Not just what we tell them, but how we tell them. Because it's important to know what to say but it's just as important to know how to say it. Come on, you know this is true. Because you can say something the wrong way and get taken the wrong way. Come on, men, we get in trouble all the time because we said something with a wrinkle right here and you got yourself in a big old fight and you're like, I didn't even want to fight. That's why text messaging is so bad. Because you, you, you say something, but nobody can tell how you said it. So it gets misinterpreted, and then the immature person on the other side takes it wrong and fires one back at you. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. This is a sanctified church. We don't even text message like that. <clears throat> right? <laughs> so the Bible charges us to educate the next generation, Right? When you read your Bible, it tells us that we're responsible for the next generation. I'm going to share some verses with you where it clearly says that we're supposed to take the things of God and hand them, sometimes even force feed them, to the next generation. So the Bible says that we're responsible to educate the next generation, right? So why? Why is it so important that we educate the next generation? Why are these, these students so important? Why are all those kids in children's church so important? Why is it important for us to teach them about the works of God? Just so they'll know? There's a reason, right? What's the reason? The reason is exaltation. The reason is to lift up the name of Jesus. 
The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So one way or another, one day, everyone's going to exalt God. But it's our responsibility as parents in how we teach our kids the mighty works of God to teach them how to exalt God. Why? Because God wants to be lifted high from one generation to the next. He don't want to be let down. So you see, the body of Christ is all over the map today. Some churches preach to the head. It's important. Some churches only preach to the heart and they try to move you with emotions. That's important. And as I was preparing this message, I just felt like the Lord told me, he said, make this declaration that there's a day coming where Jesus is going to mix the head and the heart together. And the generation that experiences that is going to declare to the next generation the mighty acts of God and exaltation is going to happen and the next generation is going to get it and God's going to continue to be lifted high. Amen? Amen? So it's our responsibility as parents and the church to reach forward into generations to come. Now, if you don't have kids, you still have responsibility. Holla. You ain't got no kids? Find somebody. Somebody will loan you the kids, I promise. <laughs> In fact, if I had you raise your hand, you'd probably get a list before you left the church today. Here, you can take my teenager all summer, feed them, clothe them, bathe them, and deal with them. And I want them back filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, parents. You see, if we don't exalt over God in this generation, the next generation will not know how to exalt in God. Something will be missing. Because you can give them the truth. That's great. But if you don't give them the truth in the right way, it's only a half truth. Did you catch that? Some of you are going to catch that tomorrow. You gave him the truth, but you didn't give it to him the right way. You gave him the truth. God is amazing, but it don't sound like it. God is incredible. God can do the impossible, but it don't look like it. You see, there's no room for dry, unintentional, indifferent teaching when it comes to God. It is vital that we pass over the emotion also with serving God. How many of you know when you serve God and God does things in your life, it should change something inside of you, right? You used to be a bump on a log. Now you're jumping over logs. I mean, I read the story of the guy who was, who was paralyzed and Jesus walks in and says, your sins are forgiven, bro. Oh, y'all don't believe me? Okay, get up, take your mat and walk out of here. You think he just kind of went, well, okay, praise God. Got my legs back. What do you think he did? It wrecked his life. It changed him forever. So where does this kind of exaltation come from? Because I know what the enemy is trying to do right now while I'm preaching this message. It is, he's trying to convince you that you need to try harder. You need, you need to use more Christianese. I got to act like it. I got I to fake it till maybe one day I make it. Don't do that. It makes me sick. I can't imagine how God feels. How do we get some genuine exaltation inside of us? Anybody wondering this morning? Like how? Like, cause, come on, sometimes the wood's wet, right? Sometimes life beats the hell out of you so long that you just lose your passion. You lose your fire, right? Anybody ever been through something for a little time? You know what it's like? Sometimes you get, how do you get your fire back? Because the last thing I want you to do is to walk out of church and think that you need to fake it. Genuine exaltation comes from a life, watch this, that is surrendered and sold out to Jesus and his kingdom. Sold out. 
Like nothing comes before Jesus. Nothing. Sold out. I'm not buying back any portion of my life that I used to have. I'm sold out for Jesus. That means I can wake up in the morning and he can wreck my plans and I'm going to walk out of the house with a smile on my face because I know I'm in for an adventure. Right? It comes from a genuine heart that is sold out and surrendered to God. When you experience the power of God and his mighty works in and around you, it changes you. It was like a bad cold that ran through the youth this past week. It spread. Let me show it to you this way. Cheryl and I have been married for 23, going on 24 years, and it's been fun. It's been a ride. Uh, we're just getting started, and, and I'm looking forward to what's coming next. My wife is my best friend, but she wasn't always. She has been my mortal enemy, unfortunately. Cheryl and I have been through some stuff. We've had some turmoil. Anybody have a little turmoil? That's, that's a long word for trouble in your marriage. Anybody have some financial stress? Come on. Anybody have some children's stress? Yeah? Two hands full, right? We've had moments where we've had to bear down dig in and cry out to God because only he could change our situation. That's when you know you're in trouble, when you ain't smart enough to get out on your own. And it's in those moments that we dig in and we just trust God and Cheryl and I, we're losing sleep, we're worried, and we're not supposed to worry, and we're dealing with that. It's like, ah! <laughs> I'm not supposed to worry, but I'm worried. Anybody feel me? And we're crying out to God, God, you have to show up. This isn't going to change without you. You have to show up, God. We need you more than ever before. And you're crying out and you're crying out. And who, God only, he knows how long it's going to take. And sometimes you pull in your good friends. You go, I need y'all to help me carry this burden. And you cry out until God brings what we call a breakthrough. What's a breakthrough? Because that sounds exciting. Oh, it's exciting. Because when you're going through some junk and the breakthrough comes, it's exciting. Okay, anybody want to carry me on their back? Anybody? Come on. If you carried me from here to there on your back, you would be excited when I got off your back. Because you would have breakthrough if you didn't get broken in the process. <laughs> You see what I'm talking about now? It's, a, it's when God comes in and he just goes, whew, and he just takes the weight and the burden and the, and the depressive thing off of you. And you go, you almost lose your balance for a minute. And you kind of go, and this is what Cheryl and I do. If it's a breakthrough in the family and we're all involved, we'll all grab each other. It looked like youth camp up in my house. Snot, tears. Right, Anna? We'll grab each other. We'll hug each other. We'll, we'll praise God. Lord, thank you. God, you showed up. God, you love us. God, you're my provider. God, And we just, right there in the house, we just break out into praise. Why? Because God showed up and God did something. And it changes us. But if you never trust him for breakthrough and you never stay long enough to get the breakthrough, you never get the point where the weight gets lifted off and you break out in praise. We celebrate when we bring friends in to help us pray through some things and we get the breakthrough. We go and we share it with the friends. Why? Because we want them to experience it too. Come on, South Louisiana, that usually means, that's a, that's a, let's go out to eat. Come on, somebody, that's a little praise right there, right? Let's go get a steak. Come on, let's go kill a fatty calf. Woo, let's praise Jesus. I was getting excited about lunch. Sorry. Get back to where I'm supposed to be. So watch this real quick. Hear me, hear me carefully now. The church is not the school system. Okay, let me explain that. 
The church is not the school system. The issue with public education today is that it's failing. I've been involved, I've been around, I've mentored four kids for a solid year at the worst school in town, worst kids in town, and I've come to the realization at the end of a solid year every week sitting with four boys that the problem is not the school. The problem is the home. And you can't fix it from the school. You got to fix it at home. And may God bless all the teachers in the world because they got a tremendous task in front of them. Because how can you educate when you're trying to deal with attitude at the same time? And so what's happened is, is the world today has taken children and put the responsibility of raising them on the education system. It'll never work. It would work if the parents were doing their job at home and the education system could just focus on educating our kids. It would work, but it's not working. So the church is not going to come and take your place. I don't want to be your kid's parent. But if I have to, I will. But I don't want to be. Tim and Danielle's not looking to adopt a bunch of teenagers. They're just looking to come alongside and reinforce what you're doing at home. I know there's times when things fail and parents get in bad places that the church has to come in and do a little bit more than reinforcing. And we're willing to do that always. And we'll take any kid who, who doesn't have good, a good home and we'll do everything we can for them. Don't hear me wrong. But we're not going to create a system where you get to not be a parent anymore. How you like me now? So let me give you three convictions that I have about reaching forward. The first one is this, parents must do their part. Number one, parents must do their part. Your obligation is in your house before it's at your workplace. Your responsibility is at home before your calling or your ministry or your your trade, whatever it is. If you're building a business, your responsibility first is at home. Before all of that, I'm tired of seeing people sacrifice their families on the altar of success. I'm trying to build something. I'm trying to do something. Dad's working so long, they never get a chance to invest in their children. And they, and they believe the lie that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting them. I'm support- yeah, bro, you could go to McDonald's and still support them and still raise, raise them up better. Yeah. Y'all don't like that because that's not the American way. Oh, I'm going to bust you in the nose in a minute. Here's the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is to shape children into radically committed, risk-taking, countercultural, wise-thinking, loving, mature Christians. If your kid's looking like a rap artist, you're failing as a parent. Or a rock and roll star, just so I'm not biased. Just, if your kid looks like a country, anyway. It's to shape them into Jesus. Countercultural. That means they don't look like the world. They don't act like the world. They don't respond like the world. There's something different about your kids. What's up with your kids? Listen, all of our family members, all of my friends, they told us we were crazy. We homeschooled our kids. Oh, they're going to be jacked up socially. They're going to be socially awkward. They're not going to do this. Why are you going to do that? Because this is what God said to do, so shut up. And we kept on doing it and kept on doing it and kept on doing it. I don't know what you think, but my kids are fine. You want to talk? They'll talk. They talk about anything. They'll teach you how to be a farmer. That teach you where an egg comes from. I'm playing. But you have to be intentional for this to happen. Because you don't just wake up one day and your kids are all that in a bag of chips. I've had people actually tell me, oh, yeah, we just had kids and poop, they just grew up good. I'm like, bro, you better quit that. Lightning bolts are coming after you. 
You lie, you fry. That's what the Bible says. That don't happen on accident. And let me, let me warn you something, parents. It's, it's flying by. My God, the second hand on the clock never stops moving. It's gone and it's gone and it's gone. And you're like, oh, my God. You better get intentional. <laughs> you better examine your own fruit or invite somebody else in to examine your fruit. So mom and dad have to take responsibility first. And let me say this to you, parents. Your dependence is not on your education and your effort alone. It's not. If you think it's on your education and your effort alone, one or two things will happen. You'll become either prideful and think that that's all you need is education and effort, or you'll become discouraged because you realize you don't have the education and you can't quite put in enough effort to, to create godly kids, right? So your dependence is not on your education and your effort alone. Though they're important, your dependence is on the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost if you're going to raise some godly kids. You need to be anointed and appointed by God. You need to be led by the Holy Spirit because there's days you want to kill them and the Holy Spirit needs to talk you out of it. Come on, it's the story of Moses and the children of Israel. When Moses wanted to kill him, God talked him out of it. When God wanted to kill him, Moses begged him out of it. Look at your neighbor. You need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> More than just to go to Walmart. But let me be clear. You need to get all the education you can. And you need to put in all the effort you can. So I just took away your excuse, your Christian excuse. Well, the Holy Ghost got him. Yeah, he got him, but he's, he's he going to let you participate. You get to be involved. So go get you some education. Go get you some effort. If the way you're raising your kids ain't working, go get some help. Shout me down when I'm preaching, boy. I'll tell you what. Which reminds me. I lost it. Praise break. Y'all didn't praise. When they say that on TV, people say praise break, people go crazy. I'm going to help you with some skills. Harmony House Counseling. I don't do this very often. If you've been here for a while, you know I don't, I don't advertise for people very often. There's not very many people. I'll, I'll stick my neck out for Harmony House Counseling is doing a parenting seminar this summer. They're doing two of them, one in June and one in July. They will give you the skills you need to raise godly children. If you sign up and put your Seat in the seat. Yeah, there's flyers all over the place. You need to grab your flyer. And if your kids are 18 and younger, you need to have yourself up in that seminar. And if you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I sat through one of their seminars a couple, uh, a couple years ago. My kids were pretty much raised, and I was like, oh, shoot, I don't ruin my kids. But I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Watch this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must, look at the word he uses, must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Watch this. Repeat them again and again to your children. How often? Again and again. Say it with me. How often? Again and again. How often? Again and again to your children. Talk about it when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. I don't care what my kids are tired of hearing. When they say I'm tired of hearing that, that's an indication to me that they need to hear it some more. 
Because something inside of you is resisting what God's trying to put in you. And we're going to break through, bruh. I'm grateful for everything my mama beat into my head. I got my work ethic from an uncle who would refuse to let me be lazy. I didn't like it at the time, but it benefited my life. Talk about it all the time, because here's the truth, parents. You have to commit yourselves to the Lord wholeheartedly before you can get your, and expect your kids to commit themselves wholeheartedly, because if you're not committed, they're not committed. If you're not excited, they're not excited. If you ain't got no passion for Jesus, they ain't got no passion for Jesus. If you're selling out and compromising, they're going to sell out and compromise. It's just the truth. My children are my fruit. When I see things in them that I don't like, I got to say, whoa, where'd that come from? And I can't blame everybody else. Them fingers always come right back here. Are you getting something? You can't take them someplace that you've never been. My kids have walked in the room and I'm crying on the floor like Evan was. Ephesians 6, <laughs> parents, I'm going to give you a break. You get about a two-minute break. I'm going to wear your kids out for just a minute, so nudge them, make them pay attention. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to say it slow so, so the way y'all catch it. Y'all listening? Okay, pay attention. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, do what your parents tell you. Oh, my God, you parents are sorry. Y'all didn't even say amen. I mean, a brother's preaching for you, and you won't even shout it. I'll give you a do-over. Children, do what your parents tell you. Amen. Pull it out of you. No exultation. This is only right. Honor your father and your mother. Listen, listen. It is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Watch this, kids. This is what God's saying. If you'll listen to your parents and you'll honor your mother and your father, I'm going to bless you with something. I've got a gift for you. You want to know what that gift is? Watch it. It says, you will live well. How many of y'all want to live well? Come on, kids. How many of y'all want to live well? Every, every kid wants to live. Toby, you're not a kid. Every, <laughs> okay, I got you, Toby. <laughs> so you will live well, watch this, and it gets even better, and you will have a long life. How many of you want to live a long time? Me too. I'm a kid. Me too. I want to live a long time. How do I get that? How do I get a good life and live for a long time? Honor your father and your mother. But it gets better. You better, you better, get ready, Dad. Fathers, fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. In other words, stop doing the stupid stuff that don't work. Don't frustrate them with no-win scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Ha! Did you hear that? Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Come on. You come in with me. Come on. You take them by the hand, whether they want to go or not, and you lead them in the way of the master. His head's down. He's embarrassed because I'm leading him, and he don't want to be led. That's why they're kids, and that's why you're parents, because you're called to lead them. They ain't going to get there on their own. You got to lead them. Yes. Kicking and screaming. He could fall on the ground. I'm going to drag his tail all over the church. Good job. That's my boy right there. Big old country boy. He loves Jesus. Parents is doing a great job. I don't know if I can say that. God didn't give you those kids to beat the hell out of them. He gave you them kids to lead them. 
I've tried beating the hell out of them. It don't work. I get way further when I lead them. Do you hear that? Even when they don't want to be, even when they don't want to do, I lead them. Lead them. So, Dad, did you hear that? God put some serious responsibility on you. God's intentions are for parents to be the primary teacher and example to your kids. Parents, you're the shaper of their heart and their mind. If you're not intentional about shaping their heart and their mind, the world is. Come on. We got a generation to reach. We got a, we got a kingdom to continue to build from generation to generation to generation. We can't afford to drop the ball. Too many people dropping the ball. We can't drop the ball. So number one, parents, do your part, but we're not just pointing a finger at you. Number two says, my second conviction is the church is your partner. We're going to partner up with you. We don't want to take over. I don't want to open an orphanage unless I have to. We want to reinforce. We want to come along and be a partner with you in helping to shape your children's heart and their mind. Amen? So the church has some responsibilities. Let's talk about five responsibilities or reasons the church is responsible. Number one, because sometimes we have unbelieving parents in the church. And I praise God for that because a church without unbelievers in it is a dead church. Ooh, that landed like a brick. You need some unbelievers in the church. You need some drunks, some drug addicts, some... Could be the problem. Because sometimes you have unbelieving parents. When I was in children's church, there was parents that would start coming to church because we'd love their kids so much, their kids would get in the car and preach all the way to McDonald's. So the church has a responsibility because sometimes there's unbelieving parents that need help. The second reason we have responsibility is there's single-parent homes. I was raised in a single-parent home. I hope I give you hope. Mom or dad, I didn't turn out too bad. I like Bluebell. <laughs> War movies. Single parent homes need help. They're overstressed and overworked. The church has a responsibility to partner. Number three, the third reason is we have incompetent parents. And before you take offense to that, let me simply explain what that means. That means you may not have the skills necessary to raise your kids the way God intends for you to raise them. It's not the end of the world. Skills are learned. You're not born with them. You learn them. <laughs> you learn skills. That's why Pastor Jamie stands up and gives you a brochure and he says, Carry yourself to Harmony House Parenting Seminar. Incompetent parents. The church needs to partner up with that. Number four, even the best parents can use some help. <laughs> if your kids are all little bitty, trust me, you don't know nothing yet. Let them hit about 13 and they're sick and tired of hearing your voice, you're going to start praying for other voices in their life. Or they start listening to other voices that they don't need to be listening to. You're going to be praying against those voices in their life. You're going to need the church one day or another. Number five is some things can be caught better in a large church environment than at home. The beauty of this youth group is that this, this past week, they formed community. Why is that so important? Because if they can understand the value of community in their teenage years, it'll carry over into their adult life. And they'll realize that God didn't call me to do this by myself. He called me to do this with other people. And I need other people, and other people need me. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. You with me? You must read this book of instruction to all the people of Israel when they assemble together before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. Call them all together. Listen to who he's calling. Men, women, children, and foreigners, okay? 
So they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully obey all the terms of these instructions. Do this so that your children who have not known these instructions will hear them and will learn to fear the Lord your God. If God said it and you'll do it, he'll support it. Did you catch that? What do they need to know? They will learn to fear the Lord. Wow. Isn't that important? <laughs> so the church has been a tremendous blessing to my family. The church, the capital C church. I thank God for the people that have invested in my kids' lives. You see, parents, it's better, so much better if the church only has to come and reinforce what you're already doing at home. You getting this? Come on, just reinforce it. Not take over, not do it for you. Reinforce it. You need to trust where you're at. You need to trust the process. You need to trust the systems that are in place. Amen? Amen? My God, if, you, if we have a youth group, your, your teenagers need to be in that youth group. I don't care if they don't want to go. Make them go! I've never read the newspaper where kid dies because mom made him go to youth group. I didn't die. Come on, you know how it is. Some of y'all drive bad and your friends go, man, you drive bad. And he looks at you and goes, but did you die? You got to trust the systems that are placed around you. We're blessed because of Tim and Danielle. Let me tell you something. You don't understand the value that's in those two. God, God multiplies what he trusts. So number one, parents do your part. Number two, the church is your partner. We're going to come alongside. We don't want to take over. We just want to reinforce. Number three, the church is your equipper. Yep. The church is your equipper. Let me give you my job title real quick. I'm the chief equipper around here. I'm not the chief doer around here. Some people think I'm supposed to be doing everything because my name is pastor. You need to go to the hospital and see people. You need to be doing funerals and weddings. You need to go and pray over people. I didn't sign up to be Mr. Do-It-All. I signed up to equip the saints to do it like the Bible says it should be done. Because if I do it all, I steal the joy of it from you. And I kill myself in the process. That's why so many preachers are leaving the ministry right now. The church is the equipper. The pastors and the leadership team are here to help you. Amen? Because we realize that not all of us grew up in good homes. We all need some help. Right? Because here's the truth is we all have to keep growing. Anybody feel like you arrived? Anybody feel like God's done with you? Come on, I just want to see if there's anybody came to church today thinking that God's done. Well, those people probably ain't in church, but. Let me tell you something. The minute you think nobody can teach you anything, God's going to humble your tail. We will grow till Jesus comes home or we pass away. Period. And we need to be going after that. It doesn't need to be force-fed to us. It needs to be something we're hungry for. Amen? Amen? So the church has a high calling to make sure that this happens, that we're equipping the saints and we're equipping parents to do the best they can at home. We're not just going to point the finger and say, you need to do a better job. We're going to come alongside and say, hey, how can I help you?
And by the way, y'all going to love this. <laughs> oh, you're going to love this. All of us get to play a part in this. Say all. All, all is all. Every one of us gets to play a part in this. No excuses. No excuses. Watch this. There's no need for an anointing on a spectator. The anointing is only for the participator, not the spectator. God didn't set this whole thing up for us to sit in the cheap seats and watch people do the work of the ministry and God moved in there. Oh, girl, God's moving over there. Bro, look, God's doing that in them. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, well, praise God. That's good. You ain't got no anointing. You ain't living no Christian life. You're sitting on your tail and you're doing nothing. If I smile, does it make you feel better? But seriously, why would God anoint a spectator? But boy, let me tell you something about a participator. You see, people that participate, they always got something in their pocket. Participators got full pockets. This is just flowing. Right? It sounds stupid, but it just, it's coming from somewhere. Participators have something in their pocket. You know what they got in their pocket that spectators don't have? A story. They got a testimony. Always got a testimony. How you been? Cool, let me tell you how I've been. Man, you got to get you some of this. Like, girl, I went to Walmart the other day, and God told me to pay for this woman's grocery. Lord, she had a lot of grocery. But I paid for it in faith. I paid for it. And you know what happened? I ended up meeting her in her car, and I prayed for her, and God delivered her, and now her whole family's going to church, and her whole family's turning around. What? Spectators don't get that. Spectators talk about what other people do. Participators talk about what God does. So it's going to take all of us. Amen? Just thought I would throw that in there just for, you know. So let me show you how this works here at OSC. We don't do a lot of things here. If you've noticed, I've never thrown a concert. I never brought in Twyla Paris. Some of y'all don't even know who she is. Come on, my old schoolers. Y'all know Twyla Paris. I never brought any big name artists in and threw these big massive events to get all kind of people in a room for one moment. Never done that. Don't think I ever will, unless God tells me to. Because it doesn't serve the purpose. It doesn't serve the mission and the vision of our Savior's church that God's given us. He gave us a mission and a vision. He told us how we would reach this community before we were planted in this community. We do five things at OSC. Now, if you want to do six, you may need to go to another church. But we do five. We do five things. I'm going to tell you what those five things are. One is Sunday services. We try to have incredible Sunday services. Our worship team, they wear themselves out practicing and preparing. Our dream teams, we got good-looking people in the parking lot telling you where to park your nice, pretty car so you don't scratch it up on nobody else's car. It's important. Right? We create an environment, watch this, for people to come together and collectively worship God, lift up his name, and experience his presence like never before. Why? Because we need it. My God, we need it. Our messages are encouraging sometimes. They're strong. But strong can be encouraging too. We don't fluff you, and we don't get too deep. You want to know why? I could sit here, and we could, we could, I could teach, and we could, we could sit here, and I could teach you and preach you until your brains were smoking. But what about the unbeliever that walks in? 
What if the person that's far from Christ comes in and has this whole worship moment and experiences the presence of Jesus and then gets a message that's way over their head? That's why we don't do that. Can we? Yeah, of course we can. Any one of our pastors can. Sunday services, it's a time for inspiration and ministry moments. So we put a lot of effort and energy into Sunday services. Second thing we do is next step. That's happening right now. In fact, it just finished up. Next step. You give us two Sundays, we'll teach you what the mission and vision is of our Savior's church, and then we'll also explain to you how we're going to take you on a four-step journey. So every person that joins this church, we have four steps lined out for them to take. You want to know what they are? We want you to, first off, know God. That is the first step for all of us, to know God, then to find freedom, then discover your purpose so that you can make a difference. That's what we do. So next step. The third thing we do is dream team. What is dream team? Dream team is all the people that's been serving you today. From the parking lot to the pulpit. Dream team. It's an incredible team. Our kids ministry is the biggest team we've got. Over 30 volunteers to run a good life-giving kids ministry. Dream team. It's a great way to get connected. It's a great way to develop your gifts and your leadership. I became a better businessman before I was a pastor because I served in the church. My leadership skills and my, my giftings were developed in serving. The fourth thing we do is life groups. This is our bread and butter. Life groups. We put a lot of effort and energy into life group leaders. And I thank God for our life group leaders. God's doing amazing things in our life groups. We just, had a, we just finished up one of the best semesters we've ever had. And today you're going to discover how you can go through a summer life group semester. Life groups, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's groups of 12 or less where it's intimate and you get a chance to talk and ask questions. It's a place where you can, you can get challenged and encouraged, sometimes corrected. You were in until I said correct. <laughs> Life groups. And the fifth thing we do is outreach. It's outreach. We reach out into the community around us. Why? Because God told us to. Our life groups will sometimes do outreaches on their own. Our staff and our leaders will develop and organize big life, I mean, big outreaches so that we can go out into the community and serve people. We've, we've supported the school system like nobody's business. A ton of resources and, and effort and energy goes into reaching out into the community. You see it? Why? Because this is what God wants us to do. This is how it works. I sat with a friend of mine the other day. She's on our dream team. And she was telling me her story. And, and we were just talking, and she's telling me her story. And I said, man, I'm so proud of you. And while I was listening to her story, God was just showing me how these five things were working. She came to our church out the blue one day. I think somebody might have invited her or something. She came to church, and she just jumped in. Just came and jumped in. Just, oh, I need to go to the next step. She went to the next step. Oh, I can serve on a team. Yeah, I served on a team. Oh, I can go to a life group? She went to a life group. She's telling me this story. She's been in our church for a couple years. God is moving in her life. He's just restored the relationship with her mama. He's moving all around her. She just jumped in and trusted the system. Evan, who shared this morning, the youth who, who shared, and it was funny as I'll get out, what's funny about his story is this, and this is where I'm going to close. Two years ago, right before COVID hit, his mom and dad had been a part of the church for over eight years. And they, they admitted that they were stubborn and didn't want to go through life groups. Didn't feel like they needed them. Until one day they decided to join a freedom group. Mom and dad joins a freedom group. COVID hits. 
they don't get to go to the Freedom Conference. They wait all the way through COVID and then get a chance to go to Freedom Conference. They go to Freedom Conference, God touches their life radically. The mom and the dad. So much that in the first service, one of his hunting buddies, his whole family was here. You know how he got here? Because he's seen something change in his friend, and he asked the question, what's up with you? And he said, I joined a life group. Jesus was there. (laughs) And now to watch God touching his boys at youth camp. Paul, you got to get this. You'll never know how fast God can work until you yield yourself to him. God can move fast. Everybody thinks he's slow. God is fast. Oh, he's fast. You see the difference in that family I'm talking about? Was the kingpin was the parents. The minute the parents died to themselves and opened up their life to God and said, God, you come and have your way, God started moving in the whole family. If he's not moving in your family, you might need to ask the question, am I holding everything up? If you are, open your life, repent for being a roadblock and stubborn and yield your heart to God. You know, the best moments I've ever had as a parent are the moments I realized I don't know what I'm doing. And I went to God and said, help. I need some help. God, I'm messing them up. God embraces the humble. He resists the proud. Amen? We have a vital responsibility to reach the next generation. And if we don't, someone is waiting to right now. mother's words to my mom when my mom finally won custody over me after a nasty custody fight my mom was sitting in a pit of despair she had lost her husband she had lost everything she's got a kid now she don't know what to do and in a moment she was just sitting with my grandmother and she just went what do I do do this by myself never forget what my grandmother told her she said Virginia raise that boy in church just raise him in church he's not going to want to go he's not going to want to participate he's not going to want to be involved make him raise him in church mama was not perfect my mama listened to her mama and she raised me in church and at 47 I'm still here I've tried to leave I ran for a while God brought me back this is my favorite place to be you're my favorite people to be with Father, thank you for today. God, I pray we don't drop the ball. In fact, God, today I'm going to declare by faith that we're going to pass and reach the next generation. We're going to pass on the things of God with praise and declaration. Let's speak that over this church that we will will declare the mighty acts of God and we will praise to the next generation all the greatness of God I declare that and speak that over us today that's who we are and that's who we will be and we'll take a moment with any kid that will ever stop long enough to listen to us and we'll praise and declare
praise and declare. We'll lead by example. I pray over these fathers today that, God, you would begin to anoint them to lead their families, that they'll grab, a, they'll grab their kids by the hand and lead them in the way of the master, that we'll stop doing the nonsense things that don't make any difference in their life, and we'll just grab them by the hand and teach them how to follow Jesus. Anoint us for that, God. Appoint us for that moment. Grace us, Lord. We need your grace, God. We're not perfect. We're going to fail again, but we need your grace, Lord. Give us courage and strength. Use us as a church to reinforce what parents are doing. And when the times call for it to adopt kids and teenagers that need some adoption, and God, help us to equip this generation to parent the next generation. We thank you for that today. Would you say this with me today, church? Would you say, move in me, God? I yield myself to you. I open my life to you. Would you move in me and through me to reach the next generation that none would go missing, that none would be stolen, none would be lost. Thank you, Lord. We bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on, church.